That's fine. Like, but that's like a huge hurdle. It's like we did the first uh, introduction. We we like recorded something. Yeah, that's and and it's right. like we're good. Yeah, we're good. Let's call it a day. I think to start, we say who we are, why we're doing this. Don't feel like there's any time limit on this portion of it or any portion of it. We'll just kind of talk naturally about, yeah, like, I don't know, the kind of things we were talking about over the last, like, two hours. Well, maybe not that. Yeah, yeah. none of that stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so why don't I start? Uh, yeah, my name is Jared Katz. This is weird, because it feels like I'm <laughs> talking to someone who's not here. Um... Yeah, and uh, um, Ashish and I know each other through work. Uh, we both work at Jet.com. What if we have to like bleep that out? I'm not supposed to say. Yeah. No, they don't want to be associated. Yeah. This. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, we're, we're both um, software engineers. But um, I guess for my background, I uh, I studied um, neuroscience at MIT, and um, you know I kind of had some exposure to programming in in college and uh that's kind of how i started my path towards like doing you know engineering as a as a career um but i think you know more broadly and kind of the motivation behind doing this podcast is that i i kind of have a general curiosity about just how things work in the world and you know i, I tend to just kind of get lost in a lot of these questions and so i think i do a lot of um exploration of these ideas online and, and just try to you know just understand certain whether it's like you know, cognitive phenomenon or just, um, I don't know, random interesting facts. I, I think I like scratching those itches a lot. And um, and I kind of recognize that Ashish enjoyed that too. So we thought it would make sense to kind of, I, I think we both are pretty good at taking uh, information that seems uh, otherwise, you know, esoteric uh, and, and kind of distilling it down to something that is more accessible and palatable and, and uh, sharing it with people, which is something I think we do in our lives outside of this. So we thought we could just, you know, maybe reach more people by doing it this way. And um, we also thought it'd be a good exercise for ourselves, you know, just to see if we could do something like this at all, because I think we both really enjoy podcasts. Uh, you know, at another point in time, we can maybe mention some of the things that we listen to, but um, I, I think it's just a great platform for sharing information and thoughts. And so uh, we thought we would try doing it ourselves. Um, <laughs> Some of the lights just went out in the room. That was eerie. Yeah. Stranger things. <laughs> yeah. All right, so why don't you um, yeah, say a little bit about yourself and, and uh, why, you know, wanted to, why, why you said yes to doing this with me. <laughs> hey, okay, so I'm Ashish Trinivas. Uh, so, yeah, as Jared mentioned, we know each other through work. We're both software engineers. Uh, I uh, went to Swarthmore College where I was a math and CS uh double major computer science and uh so i 
kind of have a little bit less of you know knowledge of things like linguistics, psychology, things like that. But I'm very, very, very interested in all of them. So I've gotten into a, numerous kind of discussions with Jared uh, about these topics, where you know it's clear that I know a lot about it, or he knows a lot about it, and we we just really liked you know explaining these kinds of things to each other. So we figured why not just put a mic on and uh, you know see if, see how other people think. Uh, how other people enjoy listening to us uh, talk. Um, so I think that's, that was part of the motivation. I think the other big part was just learning how to you know, delve really, really, really deeply into these kinds of topics that interest me. So I find that um, you know, a lot of the time I read about a really interesting topic but don't really have any reason to really delve into it uh, you know, at a deeper level and really understand all of the different nuances of, of, of that topic. And I thought this would be a really great way to sort of get myself into that mindset of where I need to really get some really deep into something so that I can explain it to other people. So I decided to record this brief interlude here just to um, point out that there was some content that we cut out from this first episode. And that included a discussion of a research paper about a man who fasted for 380 some days. So he wasn't ingesting anything uh, caloric. Um, he just had some micronutrients and vitamins and things like that, which you know I thought was fascinating that this person could survive uh, without eating calories for that long. Um, but you know I also realized that I didn't have a rigorous enough understanding of the medical terminology in that paper to really have a conversation around it that I think people would enjoy listening to. Um, you know, beyond just knowing that someone was able to survive that long uh, without eating food. And then I also talked about um, this thing called sound localization in mammals, which is, you know, their ability to figure out the direction that a sound's coming from. Um, and this ran on for almost an hour, and I just thought that was a bit long for our first episode, which um, I wanted people to actually listen to, to completion. So we decided to cut that also, but maybe I'll revisit that at a later point in time. So what I've left here is she's talking about a topic that is pretty interesting, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. So this is something called the facial feedback hypothesis. Uh, so I kind of stumbled upon this when I was reading this really excellent book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, um, where you know we t they're talking a lot about basically what facial expressions mean, how people have sort of looked at the human face and broken it down into hundreds and hundreds of different uh, small little micro expressions that people can make uh, and tried to really categorize and understand what each of these little things mean. Um, but something that was just briefly mentioned there was this idea of the facial feedback hypothesis, which is uh, this idea that the expressions that you have on your face are not merely a reflection of some inner self, of some inner emotion, but rather can affect that emotion itself. Um, so essentially that there is this feedback going on, right? So the same way that your Nest thermostat at home uh, can kind of figure out exactly what the temperature is in your house and then adjust itself. Um, there is this kind of same thing going on with your, with your face and the emotions, right? So the, 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 your face actually is contributing back to the emotions that you have. Uh, so there's kind of like two levels of, of the facial feedback hypothesis. There's sort of the weak level, which is saying that uh, if you have an emotion uh, and then you sort of um, express on your face the, uh, 
you know, the, the proper expression to go along with that same emotion, then it heightens that emotion for you, right? So if you are happy and you smile, then you become happier. So the weak version is kind of this complementary effect where it's like it amplifies the feeling that you were already having and expressing it just kind of increases the effect. Exactly, yeah. And So what's the other version? The other version is a strong hypothesis, right? So it's if you're very sad or you're just not happy at all uh, and then you just kind of make your face into, you know, this idea of a smile or what your idea of a smile is, then you will actually become happy. So that new emotions can actually be created just merely by uh, expressing them on your face. Um, and so, so, so it's almost like the experience of the emotion is generated by the expression itself. Exactly. Um, and so there's still, you know, there, there's pretty strong evidence for the weaker version uh, that, you know, there is some effect that, that kind of feeds back. But the idea that you can, you know, that you can do what your mom said and just like, you know, turn that frown upside down and become <laughs> happy just because of, of the mere act of smiling. smiling yeah. uh, there is not as much evidence for that. But um, people have been trying to do. There's, there's a great clip from, uh, well, there's a scene in this TV show. I don't know if you ever watched um, Party Down. No. It's all these people who like uh, are like aspiring actors and writers in like uh, Hollywood, and they're but they work for like a catering company uh -huh. in LA, and so it's kind of like their job to keep them going. And there's this scene, this uh, woman who runs a <coughs> catering company is talking about like you know being positive, and she's like you gotta smile like you know a uh, hundred times a day to be happy. And it was like a bizarre thing to say to like yeah. force yourself to smile that much, and she's showing how to do it. And the guy's kind of being like facetious. She's like, really? I thought it was like a hundred fifty. She's like. If you did 150, you'd go insane. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, so, um, sense. but um, yeah. So I, I was actually talking to someone who suggested that um, perhaps you know this kind of relationship between the expression of the emotion and the emotion itself is actually just um, some sort of like there's a concept in neuroscience of heavy and plasticity, heavy and learning, where you know they say fire together, wire together. So these two things happen at the same time. There's almost an association. So maybe you kind of develop these things simultaneously and they become inseparable in the sense of like, you know, yes, the expression elicits the emotion, but only because historically you've expressed it when you've experienced it. You know what I mean? So, so it could be a little misleading to think that, you know, oh, purely the expression, the emotion is what elicits it. Because is that true your entire life? Or it gets to the point where your brain is so wired to associate that expression with the emotion that now they're so tightly coupled that if you make the expression, you'll feel it a little bit. Um, just an interesting concept worth like noting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and none of these studies really try to break down that part of it about whether or not this is sort of a learned thing yeah. uh, or whether or not this is something very innate to people. Right. Whether, of course, yeah, whether it's true to a baby who, who has no social or cultural awareness um, or whether this is something that you, know, you, you learn over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so, so. So it seems like there was some really interesting uh, research methodologies around this. Yeah. Uh, so there was something kind of relatively benign in terms of using a uh, pencil in someone's mouth to kind of force them to frown or smile. And then there were some more exotic studies where they were using, you know, Botox, which is a, actually a toxin, botulism, to yeah. uh, 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 paralyze muscles in the face um, in order to really see you know, what was going on here. So why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit? Yeah, about totally. This? So the first one that you mentioned is probably my, my favorite one of the two, right? It's, it's a very, very, very simple experiment. And the idea is you have a pen and you have a comic that's, that's funny, right? You have like a Garfield comic or something. Uh, and you break, basically break your population into two sets of people. Uh, one set of people takes the pen 
and they hold the pen between uh, their lips. So if you sort of try to just do that with your finger, you try to put your finger between your lips, yeah. um, sort of horizontally, then you see that you're you're kind of in this oh, like frowning face, yeah, right? Yeah. The sides of your mouth are below the, the center line of your mouth. Right. Um, however, on the other hand, if you take the pen and you put it between your teeth, uh, you're kind of grinning or smiling. smiling. Yeah. Um, and so this is these are basically the only two uh, different levers, I guess, or, or not. What's the word? Um, the <laughs> two different settings of the experiment. Right. Um, where half the population was basically it forced into smiling when holding the pen, and the other half was forced into frowning when holding the pen. Um, and they were able to find that there's a, actually a very strong correlation with the people who uh, were smiling actually enjoyed reading the comic far, far, far more than the people who uh, were frowning. And so this is kind of just a really simple illustration of all of this, right? That yeah. like, just, you know, how you hold a pen can, right. can really It's a relatively unintrusive uh, means of investigating this phenomenon. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, as, as you were mentioning, sort of like an innocuous little way of doing this. And, right. and showing, yeah, just how their facial expression affects how they think about certain events. Uh, Botox is probably a much more interesting and better experiment. Yeah. Um, so it's a very targeted way of actually uh, understanding the relevance of these muscles in the uh, kind of um, uh, subjective experience of these these feelings, right? So if you can really isolate, you know, oh, these muscles are now not doing anything because we've paralyzed them, whether it's the... Uh, by the way, as I was reading about this, there seems to be kind of talk of the afferent and efferent muscles. Why don't you just like define what... Uh, afro-nephrit means. Yeah, so exactly. So you can basically break down any uh, functioning in your sort of neural system as either being top down or bottom up, right? Like where your brain is kind of the top of this whole thing. So whether or not uh, your brain is sending messages out to your your body kind of in, right. in motor actions, yeah. these are called uh, efferent actions. Okay. And on the other hand, uh, there's this bottom up sort of knowledge that you can have right so your your nerves are actually sending back information to your brain and these are called afferent okay. so either you can control something or or it can kind of like send information back to, to your brain, brain. Sure. um and yeah so this is this is kind of where botox is, is pretty interesting so botox is as you were mentioning again uh botulism so there's actually um some sort of a toxin within botox uh which you insert into parts of your face uh some people think that this is you know a uh <laughs> <laughs> i like your scientific perspective on the like aesthetic <laughs> yeah <laughs> think it looks Botox. good uh yeah i mean uh, in moderation right so so basically yeah. you you inject it into parts of your face <laughs> <laughs> and do you do this <laughs> yeah i mean you know every every third week i just put some botox in uh, and other parts of my body but uh, <laughs> Uh, but it basically f uh, freezes that that part of your body. So uh, all the information that really can can be sent there is just the Blocked. descending information or the afferent information, right? So if you're blocking the afferent, yes. So if you're blocking the sensory aspect, yes. then only the motor aspect is possible. Exactly. So it's almost like you can make yourself do something, but you don't feel yourself doing it, which I don't think we really appreciate on yeah. a daily basis that both of these things are at play, which is like, if I move my arm, exactly. you know, I, I, I send a signal to do it, but I also have some feedback that I am doing it. And it would probably be very bizarre to almost like if I had, you know, laid on my arm for a long time and my nerve was pinched, like uh, I would maybe do a motion, which has happened, right? Where you go to uh, actually perform an act 
but then you don't feel the feedback from it. It's a very jarring sensation to not feel that. But anyway, so so how yeah. does this relate to the facial feedback hypothesis? Exactly. Um, so essentially what happens is that, um, and, uh, you know, going back to the terminology that we were using earlier, um, you can't really get that uh, bottom-up information. Uh, and so what happens here is that uh, normally because people who have Botox injections sort of have their faces frozen uh, yeah. in a happy state, uh, they show a, a, like basically a huge lack of ability to uh, respond to sad or angry stimuli. Uh, so this is pretty interesting. So in fact, one another further interesting point is that their ability to respond to happy stimuli is actually unchanged. So, you know, showing them a comic uh, versus you a comic shouldn't really affect that. Yeah. But... On the other hand, uh, if you show them something really sad, their ability to really appreciate that sadness is actually impaired. Um, and that's that's kind of a very interesting point, right? Because again, here, their brain is actually, in fact, sending you know information to, to all of their... Um, muscles. To the muscles in their face to actually become sad, but yeah. they're not receiving that information back that it actually yeah. happened. And just that one lack, that kind of short circuiting, is sort of preventing them from actually feeling sad or angry. And so, so um, people say that uh, you know Botox could actually be a pretty effective uh, depression cure in, in some senses. Yeah, and as I, as I'm looking here in terms of the therapeutic applications of Botox, uh, based on this premise of the facial feedback hypothesis, they also say that um you know <laughs> this sounds so extreme and bizarre and yet if the premise is there that it makes sense that that you know um you, using botox to paralyze nasal muscles would reduce the ability of a person to form a disgust response which could it says offer a reduction of symptoms associated with obsessive compulsive disorder um and so it's just interesting to kind of you know think about the applications of this and basically map it on to any facial expression of an emotion if you need to kind of uh you know mediate that emotion or, or kind of throttle it in some way it's like well we'll just you know paralyze his muscles and you'll feel less of it so right. and 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 you know just for the record you know we talked about this a lot before recording this that you know what is the significance of this afferent versus afferent thing mm -hmm. and um it's so it so it seems like it's very telling that when they're using botox to paralyze the uh, sensory, which is the um, afferent mm -hmm. uh, nerve fibers, that you're still making the expression. And so that kind of violates the weak hypothesis in a bit in the sense that the weak hypothesis says that the expression is amplifying the emotion. But it's like, actually, what we find is that it's not the expression because you're still expressing it. It's the feedback of the expression. Meaning, right. it's, I mean, maybe those are one and the same because right, it's a right. loop, right? But it's interesting that you're blocking the return of the signal from the face and that has an effect, right? So you're still making the expression, but you're not feeling yourself making it. And so it seems like the significance is not feeling yourself making it, blocking that loop is really what caused the problem. So I guess it still raises the question of, yeah. if you were unable to make the expression, if mm -hmm. you're actually unable to do it at all, yeah. you know, what does that tell us? Would that be a more significant uh, kind of a subjective impact? Meaning like, would you feel the emotion less or, or would you feel a little more? You know, does the afferent-afferent play a larger role in the facial feedback hypothesis? And it seems like most of the research focuses on paralyzing the um, uh, yeah, afferent, afferent, right? Yeah. The return. So, mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to kind of explore what would happen if you block the 
yeah. outgoing signals. Yeah, that that's a very interesting point. And so this, I mean, I think what you're referring to is what would happen if we could find out a way of like blocking both, right? Of of stemming it and saying even the efferent uh, sort of. Uh, uh, signals are also blocked as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be very interesting and probably a uh, room for further scientific exploration. But yeah. I, I, I actually was trying to think of ways that that could be done and was not able to, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. Um, yeah. But we should. I, I wonder if I can like, think of something. I'll think of it. About it a little bit more. And then we'll, we'll design an experiment. I'll design an experiment. Bring yeah. it up on this podcast. Well, no, I'm glad we got to talk about both of these things. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, this kind of forced us to learn these topics a bit more than we would have otherwise. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And um, and I want to, you know, continue to kind of go through this, you know, to, to, to kind of do this project of, of learning about these topics and teaching them to each other and, and yeah. kind of letting other people tune into, like, our dialogue around these these. Uh, these really interesting concepts that are out there that don't necessarily have a directly applicable, you know, um, <laughs> I was say applicable application. <laughs> don't exactly have an application in our day-to-day yeah. lives or, or relevance to maybe the work we do or whatever, but they're still interesting. And I think that that's kind of, you know, something that we both find immensely, find immensely satisfying is like exploring these things that are interesting that aren't necessarily applicable or relevant to what we do or, or even our, our, our day-to-day lives. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's just cool knowing that like, this is how the world works and like these are things that exist and uh i i want to keep uh doing this yeah absolutely yeah all right cool, cool.